When you hear the word addiction, what other words spring to mind? Who do you picture in your head? Do you think of illegal or street drugs? Do you think of legal drugs such as caffeine, alcohol, over-the-counter medicine? And what kind of environment do you think of these drugs or alcohol being consumed in? It's so easy to jump to the stereotype that society has created of someone addicted to drugs and alcohol. But, you know, there's the people who just experimented with drugs at one time or drink occasionally. Or those who've simply been in the proximity of others whilst they're consuming illegal drugs. Any vulnerabilities we may have could lead us down the path of addiction. For the most part, we know how to avoid this. But for some, this habit turns into an addiction which can turn into a criminal offence. So the key question of this podcast is how does this link to forensic psychology? So welcome to today's podcast, looking at addiction, substance misuse and offending. Um, I will later be joined by Steve, who's offered to give us some of his background with drugs and his view of this in relation to the law. Uh, So I suppose the best place to start would be to define the word addiction. So addiction isn't as simple as just, you know, really, really liking something or enjoying something. It's taking it to an extreme where you can't stop. And, you know, every addict will say that they can stop um, and that, you know, any time that they wanted to, they could. But, you know, it's it's really not as simple as that. Um, And addiction can be anything. It doesn't technically have to be alcohol or drugs. It could be, you know... Uh, food or you know starving yourself which leads to anorexia um there's gambling um sex addiction work it it can be in any part of your life really um and drug use and drug addiction is is difficult to measure because a large quantity of drugs are being consumed without the knowledge of the police um But research by the Home Office, for example, has reported that 1 in 11 adults aged 16 to 59 have taken some form of illegal drug in the last year, Um, the most prevalent of this being cannabis. And, you know, on top of this, 11.8% of men in the UK have shown behaviour that's linked to drug dependence or addiction. Uh, So, you know, if you think about the added number of those addicted to drugs or alcohol or acted under the influence leading to their arrests that just hasn't been recorded. It's an absolutely monumental statistic. And it's important to consider that the crime the offenders committed may not directly be linked to actually consuming um, consuming illegal drugs, but, you know, there's possession or distribution. And in fact, a large portion of those addicted to substances are in prison for theft or robbery due to trying to fuel their addiction and pay for it. And those with an addiction to alcohol may be incarcerated due to violence or antisocial disorder whilst under the influence. Um, A high number of those in prison have been addicted to alcohol drugs at some point in their lives, even if it's not the reason that they're in prison, it's contributed to the um, overall reason why they're in there. And, you know, in 2005, there were up to 16,000 offences due to drunkenness in the UK alone. Um, and there's a large correlation with the time of day that these offences are being committed. You know, in the UK, uh, pubs shut between 10 and 3am. And when pubs close, people are drunk on their way home. They may get into some kind of um, argument that leads to a fight. Um, and alcoholism 
you know, appears to be a contributing factor when it comes to domestic abuse. That's quite a lot of the time when domestic abuse is committed, it's whilst the perpetrator is under the influence of alcohol. And a lot of the acts committed, um, even sexual abuse on her partner, are when the abuse is under the influence. There's also the issue of opening the gate to um, hard drugs, even if you're just starting off from something small. Um, you'll find that a large portion of those addicted to one substance also engage in other substances. Uh, so what starts with alcoholism may lead to smoking marijuana, which then leads to cocaine and maybe even harder drugs. Perhaps it's the self-awareness of the problem or intervention from friends or family that stops it from worsening. But if you don't have that support network, something as simple as drinking a bit more than the average person can turn into a dangerous and illegal addiction before you know it. And there's also the issue of comorbidity. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, they, they may suffer from mental illness such as depression and in order to make themselves... Uh, feel better or just have that high um, just to feel something they will drink or use illegal substances um, so there's always that issue of com comorbidity between mental disorders and addiction so it's all well and good understanding how addiction and substance misuse influence offending but the question is what can be done about it there are you know, a variety of treatment programs for both offenders and non-offenders when it comes to addiction. For example, um, AA meetings are available to the general public. And they do have reasonably high success rates. Um, but in terms of those who are incarcerated, there is the National Offender Management System, whose aim is to create strong links between uh, treatment services, um, the prisons and probation services. So... Under this falls the category of drug and alcohol treatment programmes, as it has now been recognised that you know, a reduction in drug and alcohol use among offenders uh, decreases the risk of reoffending. Um, and this treatment is provided a lot of the time in prison. Um, the programme, well, the team's called CARAT, which literally stands for Counselling, Assessment, Referral, Advice and Through Care. Um, the key parts of this form are um, guidance, advice, clinical detoxification, as well as forming referrals when the offender may be released. Um, so when they're on probation, just to make sure that they do have somewhere to go to if they are experiencing issues and to, for someone to just you know, keep them in check. And um, in a prison setting, there are intensive treatments. Um, so... For example, the 12-step programme or cognitive-based therapy ones are designed um, not just to help with the symptoms of drug and alcohol addiction, but to get to the actual root of the drug and addiction, uh, the drug and alcohol use. Um, so the effects are longer lasting. Uh, the most popular being focus and stop. Uh, we don't have enough time on the show today to cover the details of these programmes, but there's more information available online if you would like to know more. Now we are going to hear from Steve, who is a very kindly volunteer to talk about his um, issues with drugs in the past and to kind of explain his view when it comes to drugs and the law. So Steve, if you could give me a quick summary of your drug issues in the past, like for example, how it started, what drugs did you start with? Uh, initially, Sarah, I um, probably smoked weed with a couple of friends, 
in a very sort of social setting um, up in London actually um, and that was my first experience of, of drugs that was probably sort of around the same time that I started drinking beer and doing all these kind of things as normal teenagers do um, I think after maybe two or three years where occasionally I'd maybe smoke, smoke some weed um, have a few beers with my friends I had the loss of a, a family member who was quite young and quite close to me uh, this then coincided with a period of time where legal highs were very easily and readily accessible through the internet and were very cheap in terms of price if you think about drugs being measured in grams you could pick up a gram of uh, certain legal highs for three to four pounds which then obviously became a bit more of a, an addiction when it moved from cannabis onto stimulant based drugs or at the time they were classified as as legal highs um in particular the uh legal high that i i took was called mcat or mephedrode or meow meow that's kind of the the nicknames on the street um which i believe was just a, a sort of uh, at the time was a reformulated version of mdma i believe that obviously now having looked back on it that maybe it isn't the same kind of thing not quite sure so what would your feelings be straight after taking the drug like physical psychological symptoms or even the day after like a calm down um i suppose if we're going to talk about the stimulant based drugs where i perceive that to be a, a sort of an addiction um the initial feelings when taking them were complete numbness and happiness and euphoria and that was the overwhelming sort of desire that I wanted from those stimulant-based drugs, whether it be MDMA or or the, the legal high stuff. It was looking for that euphoria or that, that happiness or intense happiness um, that maybe I wasn't feeling in, in my actual day-to-day -day life. So during the addiction, did you ever have any intention or a feeling that you wanted to give up or get help? Um, I always knew that it wasn't right so in theory yes but I was reluctant to seek that help or to give up for whatever reason I can't quite express why I don't actually necessarily know why there was always that thing of it being wrong and whether that was the legality side of it or not not quite sure mainly I think for myself it was the self-realization that actually those drugs in particular were destroying not only myself physically but also myself mentally and I think that was the thing that led me to be like this is wrong and I want to give up um, I never personally saw any help or seek help um, and was quite reluctant to do so I think for me I was probably quite lucky in the sense that I came to that self-realisation myself when I went to uni and saw other people experimenting with drugs and realised that actually this is A quite dangerous and B is not doing me any, any good and um, where I want to go in my life is going to be affected by taking stimulant-based drugs. Did you ever have any friends or family that tried to get you off the habit and try and help you? I have very supportive friends and very supportive family. The problem for me was from a young age I became incredibly secretive about it and although people may have had an idea or there were one or two occasions where it became apparent that maybe I had been doing drugs or had taken those kind of things. I think I managed to kind of pull the wool over people's eyes of it being just a teenage experimentation phase rather than actually 
what I was doing to myself, which is behind closed doors, having a very addictive and, and detrimental effect on myself by consuming those drugs quite quietly and away from friends and family because I knew that they would probably disagree with it. Were you ever worried about getting caught? Is that did it cause a lot of paranoia for you? Um, there's always the element of paranoia about being caught doing something that is illegal. So yes, however, that I would argue is always part of the addiction and the thrill and the chase and the buzz is the idea that you're potentially doing it in a way that you're being secretive and you're avoiding people being aware of that. Therefore, it becomes part of the thrill and part of the chase. So yes, I was aware of it. Yes, I suppose there's elements of paranoia, but maybe the thrill of that always kept me slightly on the edge and maybe wanting to do it. Do you think maybe one of the reasons you wanted to stop and cure this addiction was because you were so worried about getting caught and arrested and convicted? I think addiction is a personality trait. I think it's a medical issue, personally, and I know that I have a, a, an addictive personality. And... I mean, still now, abstinence would be the goal and I still have my addiction and I still have that and I put that onto other other substances like at the moment drinking and occasionally smoking weed. Um, this still hasn't completely gone. So yes, the paranoia is there, but moving away from the stimulant drugs, which was having such a detrimental effect on my life, definitely they made me paranoid. There were moments where I had bad experiences with those stimulant drugs and they did make me paranoid. And yes, the legal side of it was on my mind, but probably was less on my mind and more the craving for euphoria took over with the stimulant-based drugs. So, Steve, what is your opinion on decriminalisation in the UK? I, I believe that certain drugs should definitely be decriminalised. Obviously, I've mentioned in this interview and been quite transparent and honest with the fact I do still smoke weed and it was the first drug that I, I consumed and you know, in the eyes of the law and things that are legal and, and drugs, or I suppose alcohol was actually the first drug I consumed. Um, but in reality, my addiction and what was having a massive effect on my life was my problem with legal highs and MDMA and ketamine and things like that and, and things that stimulated and made me feel, or cocaine made me feel euphoric. And the addiction to crave that euphoria was massive and it was making me do things that I wouldn't normally do. However, by actually stopping doing those drugs and actually just smoking weed for a period of time where I, I kind of gave up drinking. Um, and although it was kind of moving from one substance to another and just deferring that addictive personality, for, for me being addicted to cannabis rather than stimulant-based drugs or alcohol, to be honest, because I was drinking very, very heavily and I could I could see that in my, in my body. Like I was quite, I wouldn't say like fat or massively over... Well, I was overweight or... And I, that was the the alcohol and then the, the fast nights on stimulant drugs whereas weed has allowed me to come away from that and really channel my energy um as someone who's creative and is into creative subjects and and music and, and drama and dance and things like that it's always allowed me to focus and channel my energy and something that's become apparent to me is that maybe i do have a, a mild or weak form of ADHD because I find it very difficult to concentrate and focus and to sleep. I'm not necessarily an insomniac because I, when I'm asleep, I'm asleep. Um, but I do find it difficult to switch off in an, in an evening. 
and I've seen the benefits of using cannabis to kind of treat that more as a medical condition or something that's going on in my brain and focus my energy on positive things rather than negative things which in the case of taking the stimulant drugs were trying to cover up my unhappiness for for a loss that I had when I was young and maybe unable to deal with it in a way that I am as an adult yeah so do you think if cannabis was available legally do you think you'd be taking more of it less of it about the same amount I think it'd be exactly the same I don't think it, it would change it makes no difference like it being legal or illegal the the problem that I have with it morally is the idea that that money isn't being taxed that it isn't being used and going into the hands potentially of people for crime and that isn't that is a moral issue for me without a doubt but it wouldn't affect the amount because in theory I doubt it would cost particularly any especially with the taxation any less than it does do on the street so it's not going to be a case of oh now that it's legal it's cheaper therefore i'm going to consume more of it also it's something that i use specifically at specific times and having had the previous addiction to other things where i felt like i wasn't in control i feel like i'm way more in control of using that drug so i don't think it would have an increase in the amount right thank you so so much steve for your time thank you sarah all right thank you very much in terms of uh, treatment and how drugs are viewed in different cultures, it varies massively. Um, for example, there are some cultures where taking hallucinogenic drugs are a form of... Um, it's part of their culture and um, it's kind of a spiritual connection to each other and it can be useful in terms of um, finding peace. Um, but then... You know, at the end of the day, it does really depend on the law in the country. So even if culture dates back and it was popular at the time, um, if the law now says it, that it's illegal, then that is the thing that we have to follow. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, different cultures treat um, offenders and addicts in different ways. So, you know, for example, in Canada at the moment, they have um, special clinics where heroin users can go there to safely take their drugs so they're not um using infect they're not sharing needles on the street and the um wounds aren't going to get infected um and there's also places in parts of europe for example where drug addiction rather than being treated like a crime is more treated like an illness and the main uh, priority is to get them well rather than actual punishment. So that comes to the end of today's podcast. I hope you found it interesting, informative, and um, you know if you ever want to find out anything else, um, you can always uh, look on the UK government website to find out more about um, addiction and you know how that's related to the law. Um, and also thank you to Steve for coming on the programme and talking to us about his personal experience. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed it and I'll see you next week. Bye everyone.